Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, true stories, and current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 43 of the Brown County Hour. This is Carrie Ray. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. Carrie, what do we have lined up for episode 43? Well, this month we feature Bob Lucas. Not only do we have our interview, but we recorded him playing his gourd banjo in our studio. Bob is a total character, and his music is terrific. We have over an hour of his conversation, and this month we'll share the first installment. We also have segments from our regular contributors, Rick Fettig, Jeff Tryon, and, well, you have something for us, Dave. Yeah, that's right. And Carrie, I believe uh, you have another edition of For a Song. And we'll be sharing a conversation with the community activist, Jan Swaggart, as she informs us about the school backpack program. In our first segment, we'll start with Dave Seastrom's essay, and we'll hear our interview with Bob Lucas and a traditional tune he does, John Hardy, played on the gourd banjo. The weather has turned, and the season that Brown County's most famous for is right around the corner. As soon as the air gets crisp, thousands of people from all over the Midwest descend on our small county to enjoy the sights. We affectionately call our guests leaf lookers, and the act itself is known locally as rubbernecking. As in, the rubbernecking leaf lookers are all over Nashville today, you better watch out. I remember the days when every October weekend brought bumper-to-bumper traffic backed up all the way to Morgantown on one end of the county and Columbus on the other. These days, the traffic isn't near as much, but on any given day in October, the streets of Nashville will be bristling with eager out-of-towners taking it all in, and the Brown County State Park will be packed with campers and hikers. Typically, tourists stick to the main roads, and they get a fine overview of the county when they do. This also gives the road-savvy locals a chance to maintain a normal life. If you live here, you know all of the back roads. You have to if you want to get anywhere. Tourists aren't the only ones who love the fall colors. Here in the county, we love them too. There's always a lot of speculation leading up to the big event. The soothsayers and speculators look at the amount of rain we've had and the prevailing weather conditions in order to predict not only the intensity of the colors, but how long they will last. Some years, they're even right. We also have a parcel of folks that count the hairs on woolly worms to predict how hard the winter will be. But that's another story. Tourists are a great mystery to most of us Brown County folks. We completely understand why they would like to be here during the fall colors. After all, concrete and cornfields don't reflect the seasonal change the way a great hardwood forest does. The mystery, for most of us, is why they seem to have little, if any, survival skills. I assume that most of these folks come from big cities where they're well familiar with automobiles and how to behave when you're around them. 
Apparently, something happens when these well-intended people come to the country. They lose their sense of traffic safety. It's not at all unusual to see mothers with babies in their arms step into oncoming traffic in Nashville. It's as if small-town living includes immunity from being run over. In response, the town has painted lines in the streets to remind our guests that we have traffic safety rules just like Chicago. My personal favorite is when a tourist stops his car in the middle of the street and starts fiddling with the phone. As traffic backs up, they seem unaware that they're causing a traffic jam. I'm not really complaining. This is the only time we even see a traffic jam, so it's not that hard to put up with. But still, it makes me wonder. A percentage of the folks who come here for the leaves end up moving here. We are well aware how attractive the county is and can hardly blame someone for seeing the same beauty we so admire. I've given some thought to writing a handbook titled, So, you're thinking of moving to Brown County. Here's a few things to think about. In it, I would advise the would-be Brown Countyan to get off the main roads and explore. The first thing you'll notice is the best roads belong to the state highway system. Just because the road you move on has gravel and you don't like it, doesn't mean it's going to be paved in your lifetime. I would also suggest that you check out the driveways of some of your potential neighbors. There is great beauty in these hills, but getting up and down one you live on in winter can mean a long hike with an armload of groceries or the baby. Here's a little checklist for your consideration. Do you like having fast internet connection? Unless you move to Nashville, you can forget that. We hear about things like streaming movies and such, but most of us have never seen it. How do you get along with rattlesnakes? And do you know they're protected? Are you independently wealthy? If not, you might want to take a look at the job situation. And, ultimately, you have to ask yourself if you will be happy living in the sticks with non-urban people you don't share a culture with. We're glad you come to visit us, and we want you to have a great time while you're here. And if you do decide to move to our neck of the woods, all we ask is for you to join us, to be part of who we are, and not to try to make us something we're not. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. It's our pleasure to have Bob Lucas in the studio today, and um, all I can say is I've been a huge fan for years, Bob. Welcome aboard. Dude, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> wow. i tell you, this little town is really uh, mushroomed up with all kinds of new buildings. and Well, um... I'm gonna. I'm just gonna snag a quote off of your website that is so delicious. I have to share it. Bob Lucas is a glory shouting, sweet singing, banjo picking, guitar thumping, old time fiddling, song writing rounder with a desire to share a sense of musical wonder any way he can. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, I made that up. <laughs> it what do you think? Sounded like you. You know, I used to wait for uh, for uh, newspaper guys to come up with good quotes, and they they're always kind of sappy. Yeah. So I decided to go right ahead and make it up myself. You know. Well, uh, <laughs> but I think it's true. I think that I don't. I don't think there's a lie in there. I think yeah. that. I think that uh, you know. I can believe that. You know, I have a standard rule of thumb. It says uh, in the music business. Beware anyone who believes their own bio. Mm. Don't trust them. If they actually believe <laughs> what it says in that, distance yourself from them because they're not going to be any fun to hang around with. Well, there you go. Yep. Um, you have a long history with Brown County. Going back to uh, early Needmore days, as I recall, and we yes. have John Sisson here with us, who was all part of that uh, giant party that you all were involved in. Yes. Uh, so, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, quickly, uh, this is my oldest and dearest friend in uh, Brown County, Monroe County. And uh, when I was at Purdue, six buddies of mine and I hopped a train going through Lafayette came down to Bloomington, they took off and partied, I went to visit my brother. He took me to a place called Pickett's Music Store. And this is 69, Bob? Yeah. 68? Could have been. I got here the fall of love. Okay. <laughs> 68. Recovering so, from the summer. Yeah, well, I think it was 68. Yeah. So that's why I, th I think it was 68. Yeah. And so he was teaching music at Pickett's. And I went down there and it was only him and me and I went, Okay, you know, we both were, you know, had long hair and did the things hippies did back then. And he took me in the back room and we, uh, uh, he taught me a song. Slow down, you move too fast. Mm -hmm. I've, I just sang it this morning. I remembered all the lines. And we've been friends ever since that time. Mm -hmm. And he was the very first person I met down here. And uh, I still hold that against him. Yeah. Everybody has their uh, first person <laughs> yeah, that's that true. they've met down here. And uh, my, the first people I met were uh, <clears throat> Scott Ballantyne and Tom Harlan. I don't know if you remember Tom. I sure do. A wonderful guy, and I just have been reunited with him. He lives close to Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, we do shows in Charlottesville every year, so he came to see us. <laughs> it was great to see him. He's doing great. But anyway, he was the, he was the first. Uh, they picked me up hitchhiking between Indianapolis and Bloomington. And, of course they yeah, did. <laughs> yeah, they picked me up hitchhiking and drove me to Bloomington, and um, we had a little party time and played some music. And uh, then they drove me to my brother's house. So the, the, they were the first people that I met. And I, but I do remember that day you're talking about because I remember the two of you guys, you and your brother, coming in. And I remember being friends with both of you. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, ever since ever course. since that uh, that day. Yeah. I, um, you know, I gotta say, um, I am not uh, afraid or shy to uh, mess around with computers. In fact, we we make a lot of recordings uh, with using computers and stuff. The stuff that I could I could never afford to make recordings before, because to have the gear that I have inside my MacBook Pro would cost me, you know, a, li a lifetime of uh, indentured servitude. To be able to afford it's just the really high quality gear and the computer has been my friend and as i spent a lot of time on the road this is a long ways around to get into the fact that i like to mess around on the facebook 
I, you know, I do a lot of chatting with people. And of course, you wouldn't look at me and think, oh, he's this, there's a Facebooker. <laughs> and I could tell right away because I look, you know, old and uncool. You're actually famous for your Facebook. Oh, yeah? I hope people know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Well, John, uh, you were not. Uh, no. No, 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 no. I do everything I can. I say happy hide. birthday In to fact, you. Do you care? No, you don't. Oh, heck no. When uh, they put me on there, Jeff did. Jeff Foster and no. Gunther Flum. One of the first people that got a hold of me was Bob Lucas. And I was like, oh, what, what is this all about? The magic of Facebook. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Those algorithms are frightening. Well, I think it's really cool. You know, uh, people say things like, doesn't it make you nervous that so many people know what you're doing and what you're thinking? And what about Big Brother? You know, they do you want them to know what you're thinking and what you're doing? I, they know. They know everything already. What's the you know, what's the big deal? Exactly. Okay, yeah. Now I put my face on it. And I put my name on it. Yeah, okay. But it, I, I just don't. You know, I think it's actually they need to know what you're thinking. I I, th I feel safer. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, this, is, this is like different. somebody knows. <laughs> this is like what Dick Gregory said when he found out he was on Nixon's enemies list. He said, tell him I accept before he changes his mind. Uh, <laughs> right. So when the role is called up yonder, I, I think uh, several of us might be on there. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be scary. Um, I remember when that whole March on Washington May Day thing was going on. My ex-wife, Bonnie, and I went to Washington because we were invited by a close friend to go and work on a commie newspaper. Um, she did some illustration, I did some writing, blah, blah. But, you know, that was kind of kooky to come out of Brown County and go to D.C. and immediately feel the weight of the CIA and the FBI walking around behind you everywhere you went. I, I, didn't, I didn't like that. Yeah. The, the CIA is harder to spot in Brown County. <laughs> we could sure spot them. I'll tell you, they came to town. They came to need more. Well, you guys did so, try to excite everybody back in the day. Well, it wasn't us. It was those movie star politician types that were trying to make a leg up on what was going on. You know, the Chicago 7 and Rennie Davis and all those guys that, you know, kind of feathered their nest with uh, ideology. Most of those guys ended up working for Wall Street right. after it was all over. So you get a good idea that they were marketing their brand. The CIA and FBI kind of fell right into their trap. You know, they used all that notoriety and curiosity and uh, you know to build a persona that uh, people just love to read about and couldn't wait to buy more of <laughs> well you know as I'm thinking about it the first the first time I was exposed to your music I, I watched electricity perform and I think I spent the rest of the week in love with Miriam Stern <laughs> I'm not sure but no, and you know, honestly, I have that LP somewhere. Yeah, me too. I have a pile of them. 
<laughs> I use them for ballast in the wintertime. You know, CDs just don't carry the weight. Yeah, you no, got to get right. the vinyl out there in the trunk if you want to, you know. Well, that is the beauty of today. I mean, my phone has more music in it than the five fruit crates of LPs that I carried with me to school. I hear you. I saw a great quote on the web yesterday, um, something about... Uh, listening to vinyl has uh, two great things going for it. They had two great words. One was expense and inconvenience. Inconvenience. I think. Yeah. I, think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Convenience and expense. Yeah. My my children love vinyl. They just can't get enough of it. And Austin, my son, who's in the music business, yeah. I don't know if you guys probably know that. Man, he's on the road. Right, always on the road. And he sells way more vinyl than he does uh, digital products. That's interesting. Yeah, people, especially in Europe, people just want to buy vinyl. I remember when the CD explosion happened, and I was on the road, and people no longer wanted to buy vinyl. I was like, yay, because that stuff is so heavy to carry yeah. everywhere. I you know, plus that. it melts. <laughs> It can be such a problem. Yeah. They make better frisbees, though. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. Well, I see a lot of CDs hanging in people's gardens, trying to keep birds out. So they work wonderful at Christmas ornaments too. <laughs> There's that. When you turn them over, that if you cast light on them, like shoot light on the, on the back of a CD, it makes a rainbow effect. It's beautiful. <laughs> Little man carried a razor every day. Came 
Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. We begin segment two with another edition of Jeff Tryon's My Brown County, titled Two Dollar Egg. Jan Swaggard shares some information about the school backpack program, and we have more conversation with Bob Lucas along with his song, Daylight with Chloe Manor. This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County, Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. The $2 egg. Periodically, we stumble into the darker corners of our capitalistic society and are confronted by what appears to be nothing short of hair-pulling, head-banging insanity. And yet it can all be explained away as easily as the dawning of day dispels yesterday's nightmare. I used to make a regular drive through Martinsville, which invariably had the lowest gas prices in the south-central portion of the state, by a considerable margin. I don't know why it is, but I'm sure someone could explain it to me. Gas is always cheaper in Ellettsville than Bloomington, which is always cheaper than Brown County. But Morgantown? Cheap as Martinsville. Are there gas barons? Distribution areas controlled by discrete companies who price their gasoline independent of other market concerns? What goes on? Parenthetically, I was accosted by some young college boy tourists at the local grocery asking timidly, Can you buy beer here? Yes, but not cold beer, only warm beer, and not at all on Sundays, was my natural reply. Why not, they asked with baffled expressions, not from around these parts. Because of the beer barons, I answered helpfully. I expected them to press me on the question, and so I would get to explain to them in detail the arcane and actually incomprehensible policies of the state of Indiana with regards to beer, but sensing a long lecture coming on, college boys, they quietly slipped away toward the warm beer. When I run into situations like this, I like to go and visit my friend the economist and ask him sarcastically to explain them to me by saying something like, I'm sure no normal person like me could ever figure it out. Maybe we need an economist to explain it. So really, my friend the economist, he he has a very narrow specialty of freight transportation economics. Who moves what, where, and how much? What does it cost? How many trucks will we sell next year, in five years, in 20 years, that sort of thing? 
but I'd like to hold him personally accountable for the entire world economic system and make him explain these annoying economic anomalies to me, a simple consumer. Take, for example, the case of the $2 egg. Now, for starters, I must admit to one of my dark addictions, bad habit I've tried for years to quit, but just keep coming back to. Sausage and egg biscuits. I just desire sausage and egg biscuits beyond all rational thought or self-control. I love them. I want them. I would probably eat them for every meal every day if they would let me, but wisely, the national food chain shut down the old biscuit factory at precisely 10.30 a.m. Two minutes late, no biscuit for you today. On a recent vacation in North Carolina, I discovered not one, but two Biscuit franchise chains, Biscuit World and Biscuit Nation. Any kind of biscuit you could ever want, any time of the day or night. That's right. Can you imagine it? They freed the biscuit from the tyranny of morning down there. In my mind, I'm going to Carolina. Now, there's only one fast food franchise with a drive through window in Nashville. We all know where it is. Don't pretend you've never gone there. Everybody goes there sometimes. It's okay. But I'm not picking on them per se. It's the same with all the national chains. They have on their cheap guy menu a, a sausage biscuit for only one dollar. And for that I'm grateful. I am truly thankful and appreciative. But, and again, it's an addiction, I just can't help it, I love that little egg patty on my sausage biscuit. I need that egg to make my morning joy complete. And, according to a recent receipt, a sausage and egg biscuit costs $3.19, $3.45 with tax. That's three George Washington dollar bills and another dime, a nickel, and four pennies. $3.19, and the sausage biscuit is a dollar. Now I'm no math whiz, but by my lights that pretty much amounts to a $2.19 egg. And that seems like a mighty expensive egg to me, considering that the whole sausage biscuit was only a dollar. What could possibly be in that egg to make it so valuable? The answer is desire. Just across the street, at the only grocery store in town, I bought a whole carton of eggs, one dozen eggs, for just $1.79, or just under 15 cents a piece. A difference of $2.04 per egg. Plus, you gotta figure a big outfit like a national hamburger chain gets their eggs a little cheaper than we do down at the locally owned grocery. So, on my next visit to the home offices of Freight Transportation Research, I felt compelled to ask my friend, how can an egg cost $2.04 on one side of Chestnut Street and 15 cents on the other side? Because, he said, in that tone of exasperated patience one employs with children, it's not the same. You're comparing apples and oranges. I'm comparing eggs and eggs, I protested. Got to watch your semantics around these slippery economists. No, you're not, he said. You're comparing a raw egg obtained at a grocery store with a cooked egg from a fast food restaurant. And not only that, you're buying a cooked egg that's been placed on top of your favorite sandwich and handed to you through a window while you relax in the comfort of your car listening to Bob and Tom. So what does it cost to purchase a franchise and operate it, to staff a drive through window, to train a cook and the extra steps of preparing an egg in the proper way? You'd have to figure that into the cost. 
But it can't cost that much, I whine, sensing a turning tide. I always lose these arguments somehow. They are telling you it does, he said patiently. They are making a market price. Here's what it costs us to deliver this egg to your biscuit sandwich, figuring in labor, materials, overhead like a store, and maintenance and insurance, municipal taxes and fees, and yes, profit. They do have to make some profit to survive as a business. Truth is, they probably shift some of the cost of the sausage biscuit to the egg in order that they can accommodate cheap lard tubs like you. And what do they get in return? Complaints. They're saying, this is the price. Take it or leave it. This is what we can do it for. If you get a better offer elsewhere, go for it. That's capitalism. But I can't get a better offer. It's the only game in town. Well, the fact is, we're beyond paying for value here. We're talking about the value of abstract things like convenience and taste. You happen to love the egg on your biscuit. They know you will pay for it or enough people in their business model to make it work for them. If you think you can beat them at their own game, you're welcome to build a cheaper biscuit. That's America. God bless her. In the biblical book of James, who was the brother of Jesus, he writes that God does not tempt us, but, quote, each of us is seduced by his own evil desire and dragged away. That's what the extra $2.04 is for. It's a fee for my irrational desire to have a cooked egg on my sausage biscuit. Such are the wearisome burdens of my days here in my brown county. This evening, it's my pleasure to introduce Jan Swaggart, who is one of the members of Brown County Weekend Backpacks. Hi, Jan. Hi. Would you describe the program and what you do? Sure. We're weekend backpacks, which means we give weekend backpacks to students that are in need and are hungry. They have to be a part of the free lunch program, and the schools actually determine who gets the backpack. We have developed a backpack that has four breakfast items, four lunch items, four dinner items, and two snacks plus a fresh fruit. They take them home on Friday afternoons. And this is to provide food for them over the weekend when they don't have access to it at the school. That's exactly right. Wow. Yes. What an excellent idea. How did this get started? It got started a number of years ago. Principal at the Van Buren Elementary School, Lucy McGrail, saw the need. Her students needed food on the weekends. She went to her church and asked them to donate some food. That started it for that school. The church saw, well, other schools need that, so they came to our church, the Nashville United Methodist Church, and we looked at doing another school. So we started the intermediate school. And then we started helping uh, with the Sprunica Elementary School. We didn't have enough funds and people to also include Helmsburg School, so we opened this up and we decided it needed to be a community program rather than just churches. And so we now have this Brown County Community Backpacks, which has an advisory board with a number of different churches on it. And we have eight churches that are donating food and a lot of people donating money. So you're connected with the um, Community Foundation, is that correct? Yes, we are. Uh, Community Foundation helps us in that we have a pass-through program with them, and therefore that gives us our 501c3 so that we can apply for grants. If you would like to give to the Brown County Backpack, it would go through the Brown County Community Foundation. Which I understand their website is the uh, Brown County Gives 
dot org. Yes. Okay, you you talked about who gets the backpacks. You want to expand on that a little bit? How how do you qualify to uh, get a backpack? First of all, going back, we looked at those who are on free lunches. As an advisory board or as as people, we can't know that. Right. That's privileged information. Privileged information. So that's why we went to the schools and the schools are working very well with us. We are enjoying a good partnership with them. The director of food services has been very helpful in giving us a place to store our food and a place where we pack our food and then he actually takes the backpacks out to the schools. And they go to students who are designated free lunches. What happens is the school sends out a letter to those students, and then the parents and the students would have to opt into the program. Okay. You bring up a good point. So what is the percentage of children in Brown County on some sort of subsidized lunch? Last year it was 56.9% are on reduced or free lunches. The director said this year that it's even higher. Wow. So the need continues to grow. There is a strong need in our county for this kind of a program. Well, why are you doing this? Why am I doing it personally? Mm -hmm. I just see the need. I was a former teacher. I saw students that needed food. And what was really interesting, the first year we actually had a little store that the kids came in and could choose the food that they wanted. And that was wonderful to see the real need in their eyes and the happiness getting that food. Now it's grown too large. We're up to 98 backpacks a week that we are packing. And we have volunteers from all different churches and individuals donating food and donating their time to pack the backpacks on Wednesday afternoons. Do you have any idea how much time it takes to put all that together? Ah, a lot of time, I'm sure. We have five very dedicated members of our advisory board. They work long hours, I'd say. Then there are other volunteers along with them. We're just organizing. Yeah, right. They are. There are teams from different churches make up the teams to pack the backpacks. So we're talking about hundreds of hours a week to yes, make this happen. Yes, we are. Where do you get your food donations? I think there are eight churches that are donating. Like, for instance, we have oatmeal, and we give oatmeal every week. So we ask for 400 envelopes of oatmeal. A church just this week said, we'll do that. That's Mount Nebo Church. They just brought in a 400 packs for a month, and they just brought all that food in. We have other churches. We even have a couple that has anonymously donated all the pudding cups for the month. Isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful. That's just wonderful. You know, the best part of this is that you saw the need and then filled it. And this yes. is, you know, I'm sure there's children hungry all over the place that wait until Monday until they can eat again, yeah. which is incredible to think yeah. about. And, you know, we, we have to realize we're not just feeding just that student. Right. Because we're giving out cans of beans, cans of corn. We're giving out cans of pasta, boxes of mac and cheese. So it's not just feeding that one The, the whole family benefits yes. from this. You know, education is so important. And to tie this in with their school experience, I mean, this it's a wonderful win-win, I think. Yeah, and it's important for their education that they have healthy bodies, not hungry stomachs, yeah. uh, so that they can concentrate on their 
Yeah, hard to learning. learn. Hard to learn yeah. if you're hungry. It's hard to learn when you're hungry. Yes, this is really a wonderful thing that you guys are doing. Well, I just have to thank everyone who has been involved, and anyone who wants to become involved, uh, contact the Brown County Community Foundation, and they will direct you if you want to volunteer to help pack the backpacks, or if you want to volunteer to donate the food. They will give you the name or number that you need to call. And also money, if that's... And if you want to, oh, money, we always need money. <laughs> well, uh, and again, that website is browncountygives.org. And Jan, thank you so much for coming in, explaining your program, and thank you for the work that you do. Well, I thank you very much for letting me do this. Bob Lucas. And you've also made music with your daughter, uh, yeah. Chloe Manor. Yeah, Chloe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty special. Huh? Oh, it's so special, and I get to play music with my kids a lot. Uh, it's the best. It's the best thing. I mean, uh, it's just so cool. Chloe and Chris actually moved in with us oh, six years ago, and we built an addition on the place so that there's room for them. Now Chloe's going to have a baby, and so you know our music that comes from that spot is tremendously organic. I mean, it is fresh. <laughs> we, don't re we don't have to rehearse. We're sort of in inside each other's head all the time. Daylight falls And I'm lost in the big parade Hold my hand, darling I'm afraid of the daylight Shade Just me.
Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. In the final segment of the show, we begin with Carrie Ray's For a Song. Rick Fettig brings us more of his observations. We share the community calendar and we'll close with another song from Bob Lucas, More Fools Than Wise, performed on the Gord banjo. This is Carrie Ray with another installment of For a Song. When I was a little girl, I wanted a horse or a motorcycle. I didn't really care which, so long as it was fast. I brought this to my father's attention every chance I got, and on the rare occasions he was willing to engage in this conversation. He made it quite clear that while a motorcycle was a possibility, a horse was unequivocally not. His reasoning? Motorcycles didn't have a mind of their own. They didn't cop an attitude and throw the rider, didn't kick, didn't need a stall in a fenced pasture, and were much cheaper to feed. Now, Dad took that scripture in the Bible about your no being no really seriously. So with that conversation, I had to wave the white flag on the horse and focus all of my nagging energy on a motorcycle. I'll never forget the little butterfly in my stomach when his truck turned into the drive with handlebars and the slight swell of a metallic green gas tank sticking up out of the bed. And she was no pansy little 50cc clutchless jobby either, but an honest-to-goodness 80cc screamer replete with hand clutch and kickstart. Turns out there was a pretty steep learning curve between me and the wind in my hair, however. First of all, my tiny self barely weighed enough to kick her started. And secondly, I had to learn to use that clutch with fingers that could barely reach the lever. But one hot, dry August day, a determined dad and daughter walked her way out to the pasture to give it a go. The drill was to ride out 20 yards or so, gear down, turn around, and ride back. So he kicked her started, showed me the dance between hand clutch and foot shifter, and after a few tries, I was able to get off the line and make wobbly but forward progress. But shifting to turn around was another thing entirely. Either my hand would slip off the clutch, or I wouldn't make it down through neutral to first with my foot. Regardless, the result was death. Engine death. And the death of a little more of my waning confidence with every failure. Dad likely walked that weary 20 yards at least a dozen times, and I could see him trying to be patient in the face of his growing frustration. Finally, the last ride out only to kill it again proved too much, 
and instead of traipsing my way, he turned on his heel and headed back to the house. I half cried, half shouted after him, Dad, wait, where are you going? When you want to get back to the house badly enough, you'll figure it out, he said, without looking back. And with that, I learned my first lesson about the importance of time in the saddle. He had taught me all I needed to know. I had the desire. I had the vehicle. I had all the knowledge and tools necessary to get back to the house myself. All I needed was time in the saddle to practice and work it out. And he was wise enough to know that I was best to do that without his audience. When you take a leap to start writing songs, to create anything really, you will be terrible at it initially. You may be terrible at it for a while. You will start songs or projects only to be wobbly and unrefined at best, or at worst, you'll kill them, either by neglect or simply to put them out of their misery. It's okay. Keep writing, painting, sculpting, playing, challenging yourself. A good creative ride requires energy and focus and will never be devoid of bumps and unexpected turns. But it does get smoother, I promise. And the sense of accomplishment for getting back to the house is something that must be experienced to be appreciated. I'm Carrie Ray. Join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y dot com. Thanks for listening. You all recognize that song. It's the one they play when you graduate high school and or college. It's the song they play when you're challenged to grow up, to become a man instead of a boy, a young woman instead of a girl. Rise up and be the best you can. At these ceremonies, they usually bring in a father or mother figure, an upstanding graduate of the school to give you a good talking to with forward-looking inspiration, or some famous politician, depending on the status of your school, or perhaps a white t-shirt-wearing rock star who tells you how he never took any crap from anyone. Certain activities develop certain theme songs over time for some reason. Many of our shows on WFHB have their own theme songs. Ball games have theirs, taps at military funerals, entry of the president, etc. I never understood the relevance of this particular song until a recent visit to our country by a white-robed man who has recently become the leader of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis. He didn't ride in on a donkey, but he did ride a Fiat and a Jeep. That song, Pope and Circumstance, finally made sense to me. The Pope came in and gave the world, not just our country, the talking to that we needed. He went on a tireless mission to visit and talk to many groups and organizations. He covered a multitude of circumstances. Poverty, hunger, war, homelessness, immigration, and on and on. He spoke eloquently to each group that he addressed. He hugged and kissed and shook hands with countless numbers of people. He even took a gift and a note from an American-born little girl who asked him to help her parents so that no one would take them away from her. The parents were like sick birds. They were ill eagles. But they were patriotic and loved this country. 
The Pope talked about the elderly and what they had to contribute. He referenced Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Thomas Merton, and Dorothy Day. He encouraged us to be passionate about being a global citizen. The Pope's title, after all, is Holy Father. So the next time you hear Pope and Circumstance, think about what it means to be an adult. No more fighting on the playground, no more calling each other names. Wear your presence well and make every circumstance a little bit better just because you're there. Welcome to the community calendar for the month of October. Backroads of Brown County Studio Tour is a self-guided tour to the home studios of many local artists. This event takes place during the entire month. For more information, go to their website, browncountystudiotour.com. On Monday the 5th, the History Center will host their monthly dinner at 6 p.m. The History Center will also present a quilt show from Thursday the 9th through Sunday the 11th. Saturday the 10th is the Village Art Walk in downtown Nashville. Saturday the 24th from 3 to 5 p.m., the Chateau Thomas Winery will host the Autumn Landscapes, a partake event. On the same day, there will be a grand opening celebration for the Brown County Art Gallery expansion at 6 p.m. Trick or Treat on the Trail begins Saturday the 31st from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. This is a family event that takes place on the YMCA Trailhead for the Salt Creek Trail. The Farmer's Market at St. David's Episcopal Church in Bean Blossom is from 4 to 7 p.m. on Fridays. And the History Center is open Tuesday through Friday from 1 to 4. The Pioneer Village is open Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4. And the archives are also open from 1 to 4 p.m. on Tuesdays and Fridays. This has been the Brown County Community Calendar for October 2015. Good morning. Well, uh, here's a little tune. I just brought this fretless banjo in because it's a gourd banjo made out of a gourd. It's, uh, I love it so much. It's so, it's got soul. Um, It's a song I learned in high school. Actually, the text is a song from a song I learned in high school written by the wonderful madrigalist Orlando Gibbons. And those of you listening may have sung this in your high school madrigal group. It's very common for people in high school back then to sing this song and I'm sure it's still being sung. Uh, it's called The Silver Swan. And in the 
writing of this song, The Silver Swan, you only hear, it has a, it has a catchphrase. The lyrics go like this. The silver swan who living has no note when death approached unlocked her silent throat. Leaning her breast against the reedy shore, thus sang her first and last and sang no more. Farewell, all joy. Oh, death, come close my eyes. More geese than swans now live, more fools than wise. I always loved that. More geese than swans now live, more fools than wise. And that was like a really powerful thing for this guy, Orlando Gibbons, to say in the face of Henry VIII. Okay. <laughs> to say anything against the powers that be whatsoever. He had to disguise it and put it in this little madrigal. And you know, madrigals are all, always full of people dying for love. You know, uh, if they don't get some of that love, then they're going to die. But um, this little one says, More geese than swans now live, more fools than wise. And I thought, wow, if that was a common, if that was a, a modern song, we would hear more geese than swans now live, more fools than wise a hundred times. <laughs> And so I made a new tune for it. Fools that why? 
Thanks for tuning in to episode 43 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. You can stream this or any of our shows from our website, browncountyhour.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our Woodwatch page, devoted to informing the public about the dire situation our forest lands are facing. This show was produced by Jeff Foster, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County Oh